our suffering and how we respond to it, our pain and the struggles we have, how we, we respond to it and how we respond to the world around us, it shapes our worldview. It shapes our actions. It shapes our relationships. How we deal with suffering and how we answer the questions surrounding suffering are hugely impactful for who we are and, and how we live. Um, I've actually encountered this a lot. Like, we, we love discipleship around here. And uh, with, with some of the transition stuff, we haven't been doing it as much. But one of the things I've encountered, like one of the questions and like these, these, these themes that I've encountered in discipleship is some variation of like, of like, uh, of, of that, the question, why did God allow suffering you know, in my life? Why did I, why did God let me fail that test? Why did God let me procrastinate until the night before to study? Um, why did something horrible happen near my family? It's, it's, it's a question we all ask throughout our lives. It's something we always ask and it's not unique to Christians, right? Like, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Problem of Pain. The problem of pain is a question that we've been asking as humans for centuries and for millennia. And uh, since we could like rationalize and form rational thought, that's been a question we've been trying to deal with. How do we deal with pain? How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with uh, the, the hard things that life throws at us? Um, and so tonight, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, that's a question that we all need to be wrestling with and we all need to answer because the reality is we are all going to encounter suffering in our lives. Um, but as a Christian, and as a predominantly Christian group, um, we are going to approach the idea of suffering very specifically from a Christian worldview, from a biblical worldview, from a gospel worldview. And specifically, we're going to ask, where is our hope in suffering? Where is our hope when things get hard? And our theme tonight, our thesis for the evening, um, in the text that, that Faith just read, is this. The gospel is the greatest truth that makes sense of our deepest suffering. The gospel is the greatest truth that makes sense of our deepest suffering. Now I just want to pray one more time real quick before we dive into God's word. Um, so let's pray. Lord, Father, we, uh, we are at your mercy every day, not just for breath, not just for uh, the goings on of life, but Lord, for the, the, the ins and outs of how daily we struggle. Uh, struggle at our own faults, struggle at the faults of others. Just struggle with the, the, the reality of a fallen creation. So Father, I pray that as we consider these thoughts through the gospel, Lord, that you'd shape how we respond, and you'd shape what we believe, and you'd shape in our affections for you. Lord, we love you. We need you to understand this world and how, how, how we can cope with the idea of pain. Uh, Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so before we get into this, I want to define suffering, right? Because I say that word, suffering, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, but for us as Christians, uh, really you could boil it down, suffering down to kind of really three categories. One, broken world, fallen creation, messed up creative order. This is like, um, this is like diseases, like any biological disorder we have. We get sick, we get you know, cancer, all of those, those, those things. That's because that's we live in a fallen, broken world. The, the wildfire in Southern California, like that massive, disastrous wildfire. We live in a world where fire can exist and burn things down and hurt people. Um, that's just the reality of living in a fallen world. Um, two, and uh, two is kind of broken up into two subcategories. Two, it's fallen people. We live in a fallen world and we have the fallen people. Like we ourselves are the cause of our own suffering sometimes, right? Like you forget to study and you get to the night before the test, so you're up at 3 a.m., you got your exam at 8 a.m., and well, guess what? You fail because it turns out you need to actually study, right? So that's your own fault. You don't, have, you don't have a job because you want to hang out with your friends Fridays and Saturday nights, or you you work less hours because you want to hang out with your friends Friday and Saturday night, and so you, you don't have money to go to hang out in the Jakers and get nachos. 
That's how it's pronounced, nature. But that, that, that's on, it's on you, right? That's, that's you prioritizing something else. Or perhaps it's you being lazy. Um, whatever it is, we, we, we live in this, um, we live in a world where we have a broken world, we have broken, uh, there are broken people, we ourselves are, are, the own, are the cause of so much suffering, or other people can be the cause of our suffering, right? Chase's story, much of his suffering was, it, early in life was because of nothing to do but what is the reality to live in under his parents. It's this broken relationship, this broken marriage. And so you can be, you, you, you can be, you could suffer because of just fallen creation, right? There's death, there's cancer, there's diseases, there's wildfires, there's tornadoes and hurricanes. Or you can suffer at your own sin, you know? Screw up on an exam, you can suffer at the hands of other people's sin. And so kind of filing our suffering under those ideas is going to help us, help you categorize and think about your suffering that way. And so um, tonight as we explain suffering, uh, that's what we're talking about. It, it, it's any kind of pain or struggle or heartache or any kind of real life circumstance that, that, that excuse me, that is, that is adversely affecting your emotions, your decisions, your spirituality, whatever it is. Um, and so tonight, the text we're going to be working on all right, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Okay, so I want to start there. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. You've got your apps, uh, tap, them, tap them up, I guess. Uh, so yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And so tonight, underneath that, that thesis of ours, that, that the gospel is the greatest truth that makes sense of our deepest suffering. We have three points. The first point tonight is we suffer so that we might be comforted. The first way that we make sense of our suffering is we suffer so that we might be comforted. Uh, read verse 3 again with me. Just real quick. Read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now I just want to remind you guys, God, God is Trinity, right? God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. Okay? And so in this text right here, we're getting this beautiful picture of who God is as Father, God the Father. God the Father of Jesus, but also the God the Father of good things, right? God the Father of mercy. God the Father of comfort. And so we have this beautiful picture of God opening on our text, like opening this whole book, this, this idea of God as Father. I want you to hold on to that truth, okay? I want you to hold on to that truth. Um, and we're going to turn over to 1 Peter 2, 22 to 23. Um, another text that talks about suffering, but a, a different kind. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 23. He, we're talking about Jesus right here, okay? This is talking about Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, that's talking about Jesus, right? That's talking about Jesus suffering. The reality of, 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 of who Jesus was is his life, culminated, his earthly life culminated in the cross, okay? And the cross was suffering. The Christian faith is built on this idea of suffering, specifically the suffering of Jesus. And uh, commonly, uh, as we encounter people 
um, in our lives who have their own ideas about Christianity, or even ourselves, like we struggle with, with, with some of our, what we believe um, or how we characterize things in our life, um, the, the, there are two ways, I think, in which people can look at Christians or we can look at ourselves in our faith and, and mischaracterize suffering in our life, okay? Uh, the first one is uh, Christians don't suffer, like we're, we're privileged, right? We're privileged people, We've um, specifically in this country, in the Western world, um, and then two, Christians are naive. And so the first one, uh, Christians as a privileged people, it's true. In the recent recent history of our country, like, man, it, we've had a, just an easy time as Christians, right? In terms of persecution, in terms of, um, for, as long as our country's existed, it's, it, this has been the best place for a Christian to live probably throughout the history of the world. And so that's true. But that's one place in the world and one time in the history of the world. The reality throughout Christian, for Christians throughout time is that like 95, 90% of Christians that have existed have existed in like intense persecution and suffering, intense pain and, and, and oppression. Um, so that like, th- that uh, criticism of it against Christians in terms of how we deal with suffering, um, oh, you, 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 don't, you don't suffer because you're one of the, the privileged uh, uh, classes, I guess. Um, the whole idea of intersectionality in, in politics, it's, um, it's not... Um, it's not a reality for Christians because Christians throughout the world look right now look at North Korea look at, look at Russia look at China look at, uh, look at Christians in Egypt the Coptic Christians they literally are facing death Christianity is a face of oppression throughout, the, throughout uh, our history um, and the second way is that Christians are naive as we, as we deal with suffering just that idea of like you, 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 you hit something hard and you get in like a holy huddle or you turn your eyes away and you just um, it, it can appear as if Christians are naive we just ignore the suffering, or we deflect, or we shout platitudes like, I can do all things, right? Like, that happens. I, that's kind of, kind of Christianity I grew up in. But I say those two things, and I, I want to dismantle those two things, because the reality of the Christian faith is that it is built on very real, very intense, and very profound suffering, specifically the suffering of Jesus that we read about in 1 Peter. And so... That truth that we saw at the beginning of the first Corinthians, God is Father. God has Father of Jesus. God is Father of mercy and grace and comfort. Hold that and then take the reality of, of, of Jesus suffering profoundly and, and these two truths. Hold them, hold them in tension for me real quick and we're going to turn to Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 11, okay? Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 11. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Sound familiar? Yeah. Basically, we just read for Peter, right? So he was oppressed and he was afflicted. That's Jesus. He, and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit found in his mouth. Yet, it is the will of the Lord to crush and pause. So, God is Father. God is loving Father of mercy. God is loving Father of comfort. God is Father of Jesus. How can it be the will of the Lord to crush him? How could Jesus suffer like that under the loving Father and be the will of God for that to happen? How can suffering be the will of God? Let's finish our text right here. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. He put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. 
He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his land. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That's us as Christians. Jesus' suffering makes many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So how can the Father of mercy and comfort and be pleased by his son's suffering? Because it's through Jesus' suffering that you and I might be made righteous. Jesus died paying your death penalty. Jesus died paying my death penalty. And the anguish that Jesus experienced, the suffering, the most profound suffering any human will ever suffer, paid the lifetime of death that you and I accumulate as we rebel against God, as we, as we do what Adam and Eve did in the garden and think we can know better than God, that we can be our own gods, that we can make our own ways, that we can make our own decisions, that we can be our own person. But what does that have to do with our suffering? What does that have to do with our suffering? Does Jesus suffering? What about our suffering? Well, look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, rather. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we shall abundantly in comfort you. Just want to do verse 5. So how is suffering good? How does the gospel make sense of our suffering through Jesus' suffering? But we already admitted at the beginning, right? This is a fallen world. Fallen creation, fallen people, fallen everything. Nothing's perfect. Nobody is going to argue that they're perfect. And so with all of the bad out there, with all of the, the natural bad and all of the volitional bad done by us as fallen people, how can the solution to that come from the fallen and perfect finite creatures that we are? You see, our suffering highlights our need for saving from our suffering. Our failures advertise our need for saving from our failures. Our pain absolutely magnifies our need for healing from our pain. See, it's so that in the midst of our deepest, most desperate desires for comfort, that we might turn our gaze to the Jesus that suffered and look for comfort that lasts beyond our immediate circumstances and stretches into eternity. You see, if you've never suffered, then you never need saving from the suffering. Your suffering allows you to see the need. That first point tonight, we suffer so that we might be comforted. We suffer that we might be comforted. So as I said, Christians aren't naive about suffering. Uh, we, we just see the reality of our, our pain as much bigger than a failed test the injustice of economic inopportunity or even bigger than the wildfires and earthquakes. And while those are very raw and real experiences and very devastating, and they're, they're worth fighting against and they're worth they're fighting, fighting for, but even if each one of those is solved and you have an individual left with a, with a, uh, a clean earth and a house in the suburbs and, and world peace, but you have no hope of eternity what you have. we often experience these hard things so that we might look to the eternal solution rather than the temporary one. We experience all of these hard things so that we can see Jesus as our solution for eternity beyond our needs for solutions. Um, 
and that's hard. It's really hard for us. It's really hard for us to see. I get that. Uh, but it doesn't change the reality of the gospel in that this text explicitly tells us that we suffer so that we might see our need for the gospel. Now, second point tonight, we suffer that we might comfort others. Read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are uh, comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. This whole text is yet like further compulsion for us to like live in community and not isolation. Did you see how many times share was in there? Or we? More than four or five times each of those words is, is, is in this text about how to cope and deal and make sense of our suffering, share and we. This whole text is girded by the reality of community. It implicitly assumes and explicitly states the necessity for relationships that help us walk through the pains in life. That's, I mean, we talk about that a lot at GCF community. We want to see community happen, man. And, and we do this D groups one-on-one, things like Omnoms, Jakers, this. We want to see community happen. And, and, and we see the fundamental need for it. And this text explains the fundamental necessity of community as we understand our suffering. Because that whole first point of like, if you're in the midst of like something really, really hard, it's almost impossible for us to see something bigger beyond that. To see God's glory in, in, the, in the biggest pains of our life. It's, it's so hard. But when you have a community of surrounding you, they can point you that way. They can drag you that way. They can pray with you and walk with you. It's, it's, it's necessary and it's needed. Now, I want to I wanna read those first two verses one more time. Uh, verses 3 through 4. Because the first reason given, the first reason given for, um, for teasing out comfort amongst, amongst suffering is actually so that we may comfort others. We'll just read verse 4. So who, that's God, comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I would imagine that many of us can give anecdotal evidence to the help that other people have been in our lives as we walk through the hard things, right? Like each of us have had something hard and someone's walked with us through that. Like we can all give voice to that and evidence to that. Um, and how much more helpful is that advice, that, that, that help, when it's someone who's walked through something similar, right? Like, um, my, like Jess and I, we just, had, we just had a baby, right? So we're not sleeping at all, right? Also, it's hard being a parent. I learned that. It's actually hard. <laughs> and like, as Jess and I are walking through this together, like, as much as we want to empathize with each other, man, I, I can't empathize with what you went through with the pregnancy. I can't empathize with what she's going through now afterwards. Like, I can, I can intellectually understand, and I can listen, and I can read the things she's writing about it, but I, I can't totally understand her, right? But, now, Tyler, 
I mean, he's gone through the baby thing like three times now, right? And so, like, me and him, that's, that's copacetic, right? We can get there. He, he can help me walk through it. He's had the same experiences. He's done it three times. He's much better at it than I am, obviously, having done it three times. And so he's going to be able to help me walk through that in a more authoritative way. That's a good thing. That's part of what this text is talking about. Uh, however, even then, Tyler and I, two very different dudes, right? Like, Tyler's this robotic, like, computer, right? He goes from one computation to the next in his brain. I'm this, like, puddle of sappy, emotional, I don't even know. And I watch, I watch How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and I'm weeping. <laughs> two different dudes, right? And so even as we have similar experiences in terms of, like, what we're walking through, it's two different people experiencing it differently. You know what I mean? And so then what do we have to give away? What, what, what do we then have to give away? If someone you're close to has a drastically different experience, something you have no idea, you've never experienced, you can't even fathom what that's like, what do you do? How do you walk through that suffering? How do you comfort them with the comfort you've been given? We'll look at four one more time. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, any affliction, with what? The comfort with which we were given in God with which the comfort we were given in God, we can help those in any affliction. There's absolutely space for walking through similar things, people with similar experiences. But this text tells us there's something that transcends that. Our greatest comfort is the Psalm point one. The thing that addresses everything is the gospel. We have the gospel. You always will forever have the gospel. The gospel transcends our circumstantial suffering to address our eternal life. And so if you have the gospel of Jesus, then you will always have the gospel of Jesus to give away. And this, this is like functionally one of the things our D groups aim at, right? Like if, if you've been in, in one, you've like heard the phrase maybe like speak Christ into or help apply the gospel to um, or something, some variation thereof. And all that is, that's offering gospel truth to any affliction because the gospel transcends every affliction. But it doesn't leave the circumstances unchecked either, right? Like, like, yes, we have this big, huge thing that, like, it, that hovers over and, uh, like, is an umbrella over all of our life and all of our suffering. What about the immediate circumstances? That, what we gave voice to earlier about shared experiences, that is value, man. That is a lot of value. I know, I know, like, Chase, for example, some stuff he was struggling with, neuroscience. Guess who's a neuroscientist who spoke last week? Oh, that's Tyler's dad walking through some similar struggles as he wrestles with science and faith and how they mingle. And that's really helpful sometimes. And there are going to be things that are big. They're going to be beyond your capability to walk through with somebody, right? And it's good to get help. That's Tyler's here. I'm here. Rachel's here. Caleb's here. We want to help you walk through those things with people. But we never want experience to be a placeholder for the gospel. You never want your experience to be a placeholder for the gospel because the greatest hope you can give away, as we're going to see in the final point, is the gospel. Which leads us to the last part of our text, 2 Corinthians 1, 7 through 11. Uh, starting in verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised us the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us with prayers of many. Our final point tonight is we suffer so that we might rely on God. We suffer that we might rely on God in our Now, a little background on Paul. This dude had it rough, okay? This dude had it really, really rough. Um, remember when we talked about persecution of Christians earlier? This is like the poster child for what it was like to be a persecuted Christian. Um, and it's not like he was just a Christian and he was persecuted. This dude actually used to be the guy that persecuted Christians. Okay? In the, in the earliest iterations of the church, this dude actually murdered and imprisoned Christians. Like, he was hunting them down. And so then he became one of them. And so he betrayed that thing he wasn't. So he got it. I imagine he got it even worse than many others, others did. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Later in our book, verses 22 through uh, 33, I think. Yeah, 22 through 33. All right, so this is, um, this is Paul talking, and what's going to happen, he's just going to describe some of the stuff he's gone through, and it's going to be brutal. So read with me. Are they Hebrews? So am I. This is Paul. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, these responsibilities. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That's a paradigm shift. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Areteus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in a wall and escaped his hands. How many of you can empathize experientially with, with that? Pretty brutal, huh? How much more weight does that give to the words we just read in the beginning? I despaired life. I was at death's door. There's much more weight behind it. There's much more authority behind that. Now with this picture of who Paul, what he wrestled with was. These, these verses of encouragement he gives us, they don't sound like empty platitudes of a naive and sheltered Christian anymore, do they? Real suffering, real pain. See, Paul needed a greater hope. A greater hope beyond himself. And Paul saw it. That same thing we saw. This is a fallen world with fallen people. You're not going to get fallen solutions aren't going to fix things. Fallen solutions aren't going to make this fallen world better. Fallen solutions aren't going to make fallen people better. Look at politics, man. That looks like something that's going to be saving anyone anytime soon. It's a mess. What about medicine? How long have we been trying to like cure cancer and cure Parkinson's and all these diseases? 
death itself, how long we've been trying to prolong death for millennia. The human creativity and ingenuity and generosity and goodness and kindness, all these things, they're good things, but they're not going to stave off death. They're not going to solve all of our problems. They need something bigger, something outside of this brokenness. And that's part of what what this last point means, is that our hope isn't something greater than ourselves. We know we can't fix it. We suffer so we might rely on God and not ourselves. As Paul says in those verses, on him we have set our hope that we might be delivered. You see, relying on God delivered Paul and, and the other apostles time and time again. Time and time again. All those things he listed, it's amazing he survived that, right? Like stonings, like beaten to within an inch of his life, whippings, shipwrecks, drifted seas, starving, all, imprisoned, all these things he survived. It's, it's incredible. God kept delivering him until he didn't. Because Paul died like all of us did. Paul was in prison and actually beheaded. Did God abandon him then? Did God deliver him until he didn't deliver him anymore? Did he abandon him in his in the hour of his darkest need. See, these words of Christ, these next words of Christ, these next words of Paul have even deeper meaning, right? To live is Christ. Yet to die is gain. Death is perhaps the ultimate deliverance for the people of God. We don't fear because death equals eternity with our Creator. Yet at the same time, we don't hasten it. How many times could Paul have just given up? As he's like laying in the dirt outside of a city and then beaten How many times could he have given up? He pressed on. He pressed on for the good of the churches he was responsible for. And he pressed on for the glory of God. And I can imagine that feeling of abandonment. Heck, I've experienced it myself. I imagine some of you in here are feeling that right now. To close, I just want to share with you guys just really, really briefly my own story. I, uh, I'll be real quick. I, I grew up in a uh, Christian home, um, similar to the uh, just real cultural Christianity. Uh, I went to church, went to Christian school. My friends were Christian, all that stuff. But I mean, I had a really easy life. Like I was good at school. Uh, my parents gave me pretty much. I, mean, I was a product of divorce, and so like my parents fought for my affection. So I got everything I ever wanted or need. It was actually really sadistic of me. In really bad ways. But um, yeah, I had everything I needed. I was good at school. I had sports. I had friends. I had everything I wanted and needed. Um, and so, amidst this Christianity thing, I didn't like see a need for saving me. Because I had everything I wanted. I had everything I needed. Right? And um, that was the reality of my life until I was 18 years old. And that the week before I turned 18 years old, my life changed. Because I encountered suffering. My uh, probably closest friend and the, the girl I quite frankly thought I was going to marry, uh, she committed suicide. And it wrecked my world. And for the first time in my life, nothing was easy. For the first time in my life, I saw like the reality of the darkness of what sin can do. And so following that, 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 18, that 18-year-old birthday, um, I spent the next two years wrestling with depression, um, where school was easy for me I couldn't focus anymore I, said, I 
I got into here, I, I did all right. And just failed a couple classes, started failing classes. Um, in my relationship with Jesslyn, uh, I was a disaster. And everything that had been easy for me all of a sudden was being ripped away from me. Everything that was easy for me all of a sudden started failing and experiencing this failure. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that two years away from my life. Because it was during those two years that I saw my new perspective. It was in the midst of my most intense. I, as Chase shared, the reality of depression, like that desire to, to end everything. I wouldn't give it away for anything because that's when I saw my new perspective. I need to change this. That's when Jesslyn and my friends like Tyler walked around me. And even they didn't even know it. But that community the gospel and relying on something other than the ease of my previous life it pointed me to the glories of God and the gospel of Jesus. See, the gospel is the greatest truth that makes sense of our deepest sufferings. All of us can tell stories about how in our sufferings we experience the grace of God. And cling to that truth. It's not naive. It's not naive. Clinging that to that truth is life altering. It's liberating. Because your life is no longer dictated by your immediate circumstances, but it's shaped by the reality of your eternity. And so the next time you find yourself in any affliction, any affliction, as our text says, any affliction, from botching an exam to failing a class to the deepest, most intense emotional suffering. Remember the gospel. Turn towards community. And fix your eyes upon the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, this time, this, the freedom to, to worship and to learn and to dive into your word and to share our experiences with each other. Lord, I pray that as we, uh, as we consider these hard and deep thoughts about pain and suffering, that Lord, you help us process this with each other. Help us ask questions of each other. Help us press into the hard. Help us rely on one another. But Lord, never let, let us be a placeholder for what is most important, and that's the, the beautiful treasure of the gospel. Let us rest in our eternity and not our circumstances. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us this is not something we can do uh, without each other but Lord most importantly it's not something we can do without you reaching into our hearts and orienting them in such a way that we want to chase you and we want to move you so Lord we need you and we want you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.